This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala imam al-anbiya wa al-mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsan ila yawm al-deen Allahumma ja'alna minhum ameen Everyone say ameen Ameen Make sure, that's a good dua So we always, we always begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Always, always praise, everyone say alhamdulillah Always, always praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Why do we always praise Him? Because there are some things that we are aware of, some ni'mah that we are, some blessings that we are aware of, right? What are some, what's a blessing you're aware of? Islam, big blessing, right? I was going to say, mashallah, your fashion because you look good too, mashallah, right now. Anyone else you're aware of? Sight. Sight, mashallah. Very, and also, in case you need to read something high, you're very tall, right? Mashallah. My mom always, she's short. May Allah bless our mothers. Whenever I hear her calling from the room, I know it's either I'm in trouble or there's something too far up and I have to get it. But he said the eyesight. Anything else? What are you grateful for? Hmm? For, he- for health For health, exactly There's so many things That if we take a minute and think about it We say Alhamdulillah But, believe it or not There are things that we forget about Like if you even try to count the blessing of Allah You will not be able to do so So there are some things that we even forget about That's why we say Alhamdulillah always Because even when, we for- even when we're not consciously remembering We should remember to say Alhamdulillah Just so we can cover up the fact that we don't remember all the blessings that we have. So we said, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And then we asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send His peace and blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu who was the, one of the biggest blessings that we received because he brought us Islam. Because he is the means by which we learned this religion and learned our akhlaq and our adab and our aqidah and our fiqh and everything. We learned it from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and his amazing example and the examples of those, his companions, his sahaba, the blessed generation whom Allah said, radiallahu anhum wa radu'an. And then we ask Allah to send his peace and blessings upon them as well. And then the end part of the dua, I'm just translating everything, is that we ask Allah to make us amongst them. The people who try to follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa until the end of time. That's why we say, Ameen. Okay, so the talk tonight <clears throat> talks about Sheikh Abdul I'm just here kind of to, to prep everybody for the main course. You know, when you go and you get some nice Indian Pakistani biryani, you know, before, when you sit down and they give you water, then they give you what cucumbers and lettuce and the raita, the chutney, and then you have to order the samosa and pakore and, and the, all these, and then they bring the biryani, okay? So I'm the samosa and pakore, I'm the cucumber and chutney, and then Sheikh Abdul Nasser is the main course, right? So, I just wanted to give a couple reflections about salah, about prayer. As someone who works with youth full-time, alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me to be able to make this my life. It's a big challenge, but it's also a big blessing, and it opens my eyes to a lot of realities of the ummah. First of all, the Muslim ummah is beautiful, alhamdulillah. Wonderful, wonderful people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to give Islam. Alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. A couple things that we focus on with youth in our community and things that I've noticed with prayer is that prayer is very difficult for a lot of youth it's very difficult for a lot of people in general but particularly youth we struggle with it and I say we because I, I also am young but I also once really really struggled with prayer 
And, the, you know, to tell a story, there was one kid who um, came to me. He was a good friend of mine, actually. I can't say his name because this is being recorded. He's a good, good friend of mine in my community. He's one of my students. And he has a habit of going to the nightclubs and drinking and smoking. He, he has a habit of that. He's Muslim, alhamdulillah, but he has a habit of doing the wrong things, making poor decisions. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. It just means he has bad habits. So... He comes to me and he tells me, you know, I'm doing these things, X, Y, Z, I'm doing all this bad stuff. And he actually says, like, my heart is yearning to get away from it. My heart wants to get away from it. But every time Friday night rolls around, I find myself calling the same people and making the same bad choices. So he said, what should I do? I said, next time you want to go, pray salah. And tell me afterwards if you still want to go. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? Inna salata That the prayer is a forbidder on... Allah says, verily prayer, it forbids. It is a forbidder. It, is a cut, it cuts off the fahshat, right? So I told him to do this. He told me, okay, I'll try it. So then next weekend came around and he actually called me. He said, I'm getting that urge to go out. I said, okay, so make sure you pray. He goes, I don't have wudu. I said, pray without wudu. Just get up. I said, why don't you go make wudu? He's like, no. I said, pray without wudu. Just get up and pray. He goes, pray what? I said, pray one rakah. Do something. Just get up in front of your Lord and just say Allahu Akbar and just start. Right? Again, in fiqh, is this allowed? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Everyone's like, who is this Muqtada speaking to me? No. I'm not making up new religion. But when we talk about people who are people, and it's either zero, nothing or everything, we have to find a way to let them in the back door, to sneak in, right? Open it a crack and say, go, go. So he gets up and he actually prays, alhamdulillah, for rakah, without wudu. So it's not, obviously, you know, who knows if it's accepted. But it's not, uh, he didn't fulfill the, the shurut, right, the conditions. But point being is that after he prayed, he said, I felt so guilty now to go out. Like, I'm not going to go out now because I just prayed. So he said, Brother Murphy, what are you doing? I said, nothing, come over, right? So he came over and we hung out for that night. So the first reflection I had about prayer and salah for young people, and a lot of people here probably know some young people who struggle with prayer, is that we have to, number one, make it easy for them. Now I'm not saying that we cut down the rakah, of course not. I'm not saying that we negate wudu, no, of course not. What I am saying is that, what I am saying is that a lot of times we add the, you know, this huge list of responsibilities to young people, and salah is somewhere on that list. So we say, make sure that you're studying this, and make sure that you're doing this, and make sure you're doing this, and all Islamic responsibilities, and salat is somewhere, usually should be at the top, but it's somewhere on there. And so what they do is they see this long list, and they get frustrated, they get overwhelmed, and they say, you know, forget all of it. I'm not going to do any of it. Because it's just such a long list, man. So I say, okay, my methodology, the way that we should work, is salat, and that's it. And a lot of you might be a little bit shocked right now, and that's okay. Feel free to be shocked, because I was shocked too when this first happened. But when you reduce the responsibilities at first to salah, then what happens is people, they begin to love that feeling that salah gives them. And they begin to love the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they begin to love the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and his sunnah. And they begin to say, what else can I do now that I've started to love this thing, that I can grow now and do more? And you say, oh, well, you know what? There's a class at the masjid. They're teaching 40 hadith Nawi. They're teaching Riyadh al-Salihin. They're teaching uh, Quran, Tafsir. Why don't you hop in once a week? So, okay, I'll do that. Sounds good. 
and their love and their ibadah and their knowledge, their their total begins to begins to grow. So the first tip: cut down the fat, cut everything else out. When we're dealing with young people, parents, older brothers, mentors, community leaders, when we're dealing with young people or people here who maybe don't pray, if you to yourself don't pray right now, cut out everything else and just start praying. Start praying, right? Number two, and we learn this from the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is that when people have a lot of bad habits, a ton of bad habits, we focus on the bad as opposed to encouraging the good. We focus on the bad as opposed to encouraging the good. So young people come to me, and imagine like this first brother who I mentioned in the first story, I know he has all these bad habits, he has all these bad friends, he drinks, he clubs, he does all these things. Imagine if I told him, look, you can't pray until you get rid of all of that. Then what's he going to say? He's already knee deep in it. He's already wading through it like a, like a pool, a swimming pool. I say, first you have to get out, and then you have to pray. No. The Prophet Muhammad when he dealt with people, he allowed them to do good while they were still unfortunately in bad. A famous story of this is the Sahaba, they came to the Prophet whom they came to the Prophet Muhammad and they came to him and they said, we know of a man who steals, he's a thief. He perpetually steals. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, what should we do? And the Prophet said, does he pray? And they said, yes. And the Prophet said, leave him. Because if he prays and he steals, one of them will leave. One of them will leave. If he continues to do his, his prayer and his salah, then eventually his habit of stealing his sin will leave him. But if he continues to pr- give pr- uh, priority to the thievery, to the stealing, then his prayer will leave. And if his prayer leaves, that's when we're going to approach him and talk to him and say, you can't let your prayer leave. So the Prophet Muhammad focused on the positive, And he let sometimes even the negative exist. He let it exist. He saw it, and he didn't do anything about it. Because he knows that people, sometimes you have to plant the seed. Sometimes you have to pour the Clorox into the thing and let it simmer for a little bit. Let it, sit, let it soak. Right? You know, we're talking, I was talking with Sheikh Abdel Nasser about certain health conditions. Certain, if you're trying to lose weight, for example. When someone's trying to lose weight, the trainer will tell you, don't go right away and lift weights. First, you have to lose some pounds first. Otherwise, your knees will get injured. Sometimes the doctor will say what? We're going to do surgery, but before we do surgery, you have to do what? Fast. So you have to prepare yourself. Before we get rid of all the bad, sometimes we have to do a pre-preparation. So focus on the good. And the last point is this. And this is sometimes I think we, especially in the Arab and Indo-Pak community, my mother is Masriya, by the way, and a Masri, Asla. But the, the, in the Arab and Indo-Pak community, sometimes there's a, there's a habit of not giving young people compliments. Because we don't want their ego to grow. We don't want the nafs to get big. And so number one is encourage prayer. Number two is sometimes don't get so caught up with the bad deeds. And number three is to give them good news. Bashiru wa la tunafiru. And in another, another riwayah, the Prophet said, Sakinu wa la tunafiru. Bashiru means to give good, give good news. And don't always tunafiru. Don't always be giving people bad news and, and being a Debbie Downer. And the other riwayah says, Sakinu, which means what? Give people tranquility. So the, the beauty in this hadith is that the Prophet says, when you give someone good news, when you give them bushra, it gives them sakina. And sakina is a feeling that we are all chasing. Every single human being is chasing tranquility in our lives. Financial tranquility, spiritual tranquility, emotional tranquility, education. We all want tranquility. We just want things to be smooth. 
And so when you give someone good news, it causes that sakina to come onto them. It causes that to come onto them. And so when a young pe- when a young person prays, make sure we compliment them for that. Make sure we t- if, they, if they don't have a habit of coming to the masjid and someone comes to the masjid, put an arm around them. Say good job. Don't be like, whoa, first time I've ever seen you here. Right? Hey, Imam, we need to make some more space. This guy never comes. Right? No. Put an arm around and say, Mashallah, it's good to see you here. Oh, yeah, yeah, I used to work at a masjid. I used to work at a masjid in a certain city in, in, in the States. And there was an Imam there. And this Imam was a Turkish, like, like a Bah, man. He was, like, very knowledgeable. And he used to walk around after Aisha prayer with candy in his pockets. And the little kids who he saw at the masjid, he would come up to them. With the, and he, he had a stern face. Like he, he rarely smiled unless it was time to smile. You know what I'm saying? His default face was like... <laughs> so he walked up to the kids like... And the kids were... And he's old, mashallah. He's old. He has a lot of edger. He's old. And he goes... And the kid's like, oh my God, what did I do? And he goes... <laughs> and he gets candy. And the kid's like, nice! And what did the kid do there? So I'm a psychology... I'm, I'm getting my degree in, in counseling. What does that do? He's classically conditioning the kids. You know Pavlov's dog? Ring the bell, dog drools, right? He's classically conditioning the kids to when they pray, what do they taste? Candy, right? So they, and again, you're like, brother, the niyaz is not mukhlis, right? The prayer should be for Allah alone, fakat, right? But the kid's like four years old, man. Like, let him grow to that, that, that niyah of ikhlas. Let him grow to that sincere niyah. There was another man in my masjid in Chicago. He, had, he brought four sons to Fajr in Jama'ah every day, mashallah, him and his four sons. And his sons were ages 18 to 7. And I asked him, I said, how do you do it? In an age where parents are confused about how to get their kids to even believe La ilaha illallah from Rasulullah, I said, how do you get your sons to all attend Fajr in the, in the Masjid every day Jama'ah? He said, every day I tell them that if they pray with me Fajr and Isha and Jama'ah, he says that afterwards we'll go get ice cream. Every day. Right? And why? Because the Fajr and uh, the, the Jama'ah and Fajr and Aisha is the one that prevents you from being a hypocrite, things like that. So he said, we'll do these two, we'll go get ice cream, or we'll get hot chocolate in the winter or something like that. And all of his kids are like, yeah, ice cream, hot chocolate. But this parent, Wallahi, is smart because he knows what he's doing, he's creating good memories. When you guys go to a restaurant and you have a good experience, are you going to go back? Yeah, inshallah. Inshallah, right? Get some more donor kebabs, inshallah, right? We got it yesterday, I'm like, we have to come back, right? Whenever you go somewhere nice and you have a good experience, you want to come back? Yeah, of course. So when you go to the masjid and you have a good experience, are you going to want to come back? Taban, of course you will. And so this father is creating that good experience in his kids' minds, right? He's creating that experience in his kids' minds. And he's making sure to give them that, that good word, a good word of advice. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make prayer easy for us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make prayer easy for our young people. For those who are old or young, men or women, newly Muslim or aged Muslim, we ask Allah to make prayer beloved to us. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it a calming, cool breeze for us. As the Prophet said, Whenever he wanted to pray, he would tell Bilal, Aren't you going to... He said, Bilal, give us some soothing with it, right? Like, give us some soothing with the prayer, with the event. So we ask Allah to make it a, a soothing process for us. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open our minds and hearts to learn more about the salah. Shaykh Abdel Nasser is going to talk to us about what it is that salah does for us exactly. Jazakumullah khairan, subhanakallah, wa bihamdik, ashadu wa la ilaha ilant, nastaghfirka wa tubi ilaik. Salaam alaykum. Jazakumullah khairan, Abdel Nasser Murphy, may Allah ta'ala reward him, some very beneficial points and lessons, inshallah, that uh, you benefit from and learn from. Inshallah, our next speaker is Sheikh Ustad Abdel Nasser Janga.
and is part of the Bayina Institute in United States of America, which focuses on education, especially tafsir of Quran and understanding of the Quran. He studied the Arabic and Islamic studies in Pakistan uh, under Mufti Taqiyuddin Usmani, who is a former Mufti of Pakistan. He's also a half of the Quran. Inshallah, his lecture and reminder today will be focusing on Salah, how it's coolness for our eyes. I request Rustad Abdul Nasser to come to the front, please. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Alhamdulillah, it's very very nice to be uh, visiting here and see all the beautiful faces um, uh, Please excuse a little bit the raspiness of my voice, I've been losing my voice a little bit And that's why I'm not actually eating candy while I speak to you It's a, it's a sore throat lozenge and so I'm just trying to help the voice recover a little bit inshallah so, um, alhamdulillah, I was very excited to visit the community and see the beautiful community and uh, meeting, you know, Sheikh Shakil, Imam Shakil, and seeing all the amazing programs you have here. It's uh, it's been very rewarding to visit, alhamdulillah. Uh, Abdurrahman, Brother Murphy, as you know, we call him, um, you know, made some very amazing points about salah. I wanted to talk today a little bit about the historical significance of prayer. What role did prayer play? in the history of our deen, our religion, Islam. What is the historical significance of it? The historical importance of it. So in order to understand that, we have to go back to the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And we go to the 11th year of Nubuwa, prophethood. When the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was about 51 years old. It had been a little over a decade since he started preaching and teaching the message of Islam. That decade had been very, very difficult. Of course, this was his purpose of life. This was the reason why he existed. And so he was committed to it. And it brought so much blessing to so many people, but it had been very challenging and very difficult. But the challenge and the difficulty that the Prophet ﷺ faced, especially at a personal level, at a human level, was about to reach its peak. He was about to go through the most difficult time of his life at a very human level. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, at this point in time in his life, 10 years after preaching and teaching the message of Islam, he suffered the very tragic loss of his beloved wife Khadija radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her. And you know one of the things I often talk to my own community about is that a lot of times it's very unfortunate that when we talk about the Qur'an, when we talk about the life of Rasulullah the seerah, it's become either one of two things, either it's become a form of entertainment, somebody could say Astaghfirullah, how could it be entertainment? The example is that if there's an episode of a television show or a, a, an issue of a magazine and you've read it, you've watched it, you've seen this episode once and you turn on the TV and that episode is coming on again, same one, re, what we call a rerun. Do you sit and watch it again? No, what do you do? You change the channel, turn it off, right? But you change the channel at the very least. 
you don't sit there and watch it again. Okay, maybe it was really good till you watch it a second time. It comes on a third time, do you watch it again a third time? Absolutely not. There's nothing else on. So maybe you kind of leave it on and do some other things, you know, playing with your phone, whatever it's on. It comes on for the fourth time. On the fourth day, the same exact episode is showing for the fourth time. Will you watch it? Of course not. If you would still watch it, you have problems that I can't help you with. <laughs> you have other issues, alright? But my point is, that's entertainment. If you've done it once, you're not interested a second time. That's entertainment. A lot of times, may Allah forgive us, when we talk about the life of Rasulullah a lot of times it's like entertainment. Somebody's telling us the story of the journey to Ta'if, we come back the next week to the Shaykh's halaqa. Shaykh is saying, today we're going to talk about the journey to Ta'if. Immediately I put my hand up. Sheikh says, yes brother, what can I do for you? Uh, we already talked about this. Like we're done with it. I've seen this episode already. Show me a new episode. That's very problematic. The second unfortunate reality a lot of times is, when we talk about the seerah, or even the Qur'an, a lot of times we have what I like to call the Wikipedia approach. Everybody know what Wikipedia is? You know how you read stuff on Wikipedia, you just look up information? So you just pull it up and then you just read, okay, he was born in 1979, and then in 1986, and then in 1994, and then 19... You know, you just kind of read down through a list, just facts on a page. A lot of times when we study the seerah, the life of the Prophet wasallam. Oh, and then in the 11th year of prophethood, Nubuwa, his wife Khadija died. Next, next, next. No, no, no. What did that mean to the Prophet ﷺ? I want you to understand this from a human level. When Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha died, when she passed away, the Prophet ﷺ had been married to her for more than 25 years. They had been married for longer than 25 years. There's, I, I, speak, I, I spot some younger faces here. Raise your hand if you're under the age of 25. Exactly. Plenty of people here. Now I want you to think about this. The Prophet ﷺ had been married to Khadija radiallahu anha longer than you've been alive. They were married. Their marriage was longer than your lifespan. 25 years is a lifetime. Do you know what it's like when you've been married to someone for 25 years? You, you, you're like this. Your lives are intertwined. You know what the other person is going to say before they say it. You know what they're thinking just by looking at their face. You know what they're going to do. Imagine 25 years of sitting with someone, talking with someone, waking up to next to someone, eating with someone, praying with someone. 25 years. And then all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and you look over and that person's not there anymore. Now I try to imagine that feeling. 25 years. The love of his life. This might sound cheesy to some people. But Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha was, was the love of the Prophet's life. She was his, his, his partner in life. His love, his wife. To lose someone like that. Think about how difficult it was to be for the Prophet on a personal level. You know, and what we know about the love that the Prophet ﷺ had for Khadija radiallahu anha from even some of the narrations. 
I'm going to quickly go through them so I can make sure I can get to all the points I wanted to make. But about four years after Khadija passed away, four, almost five years, the Battle of Badr happened. At, after the Battle of Badr, the Prophet saw a necklace that used to belong to Khadija Five years later, he's remarried, he lives in another city. He just looks at the necklace and he starts to cry. He said, what happened, O Messenger of Allah? He said, this Khadija's necklace. Looking at it just takes me back to those beautiful times. Think about how much he must have missed her. A decade after she passed away, a decade, some Sahaba asked the Prophet ﷺ, the younger Sahaba, and the Ansar of Medina, they, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, please tell us about our mother Khadija. We hear about her, such amazing things, but we never knew her. Tell us about her. The narration says, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّهَا كَانَتْ وَكَانَتْ She was and she just was. Which is the Arabic expression for saying, where do I even begin? I don't have the words to describe how amazing she was. I don't even know where to start. I can't even explain it to you. You had to be there to know. This is a decade later. This is how much he remembers and how we miss. The, the, the sister of Khadija, her name was Hala. She had also made the migration, the hijrah from Mecca to Medina. And it said that she was very similar. You know some sisters are very, some brothers, they'll be very alike, siblings. They look similar, they talk like one another, their mannerisms are the same, because they grow up together. So she was very close to Khadija radiallahu anha, so she was very much like her. She used to talk like her. Her mannerisms were like her. So the Prophet used to wait for Hala to visit him, because he used to remind him of Khadija. And sometimes, and she had a very distinct way of knocking the door, the same way Khadija used to knock a door. You know some people have a special knock? So when she would knock, she would do her special knock, the Prophet would say, Allahumma hala. Oh Allah, thank you for sending hala. And they would sit and they would reminisce about Khadija. This is 10 years after she passed away. 10 years after she passed away. That's why Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that you talk about Khadija like there's no other woman in the world. Because there was no other woman like Khadija. So imagine what a loss it was for the Prophet to lose his, his beloved wife Khadija. Then, secondly, she was the mother of his children. Can you imagine? See, sometimes we don't humanize the Prophet we don't understand. There's so much inspiration there. Can you imagine coming home? Fatima radiallahu anha was still a little girl. I have a five and a half year old. Maryam. I, 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 I can't even think about that. But I try so I can love the Prophet and understand what he was going through. I try to imagine how difficult it would be to look my Maryam in the face and try to explain to her such a tragedy. I don't know how I would do it. Can you imagine the Prophet's plight when he came home and looked at his little innocent baby girl, beautiful child, in the face and tried to explain to her that mama's not coming back home again? Can you imagine? We don't understand this. In our communities, we need to understand this. The Prophet after the death, after the passing of Khadija radiallahu anha, was a single parent. Yeah, he was a single father. Can you imagine how difficult that was? You can't unless you've been in, those, in that position. 
I often share this. You know, may Allah protect us all and protect our families. But sometimes to help you understand, Allah sends you someone that at least looking into their eyes, you can at least understand it a little bit better. You still won't know it. But you can get a feel for it. One time I was talking about this, and a brother came up to me afterwards, saying, you know everyone says salam and you greet everyone, but this brother, just, you know sometimes a person comes up to you and the look on their face, their eyes, they tell you that they have a story to tell. This brother comes up to me and says, brother, you know what you talked about today, I was talking about this. He said it really, like it, 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 it's something that relates to me, like I was able to really connect with it. So I asked him, I said, if you don't mind, do you mind sharing with me? Could you share with me how, how you are able to relate to this? He said, sure, we sat down. And he said, you know when we prayed Salah right now, during the program? He said, that's the first time I've prayed in over a year. Even though I grew up in a practicing Muslim home, very religious parents, five times a day Salah, the whole family. I grew up like this, I lived my whole life like this. But today was the first time I prayed in over a year. I said, what happened? He told me that a year over, a little over a year ago, I was towards the end of my medical school. In the US we have four years of undergrad, then four years of medical school, then a residency. I, he said I was near the end of my medical residency. Like a 10 year journey, 11 year journey, I was finally ending it. And we had, I was, he's, he told me he was about, he's probably about 30 years old. He said, I had a young wife, we had two little babies, two little kids. My wife, my whole family had sacrificed with me. In medical school, you don't get paid. As a medical resident, you get paid very little. Not enough to support a family of four. But he said, we managed to get by. We lived in a small, broken down, little apartment in a very bad part of town. We drove one broken down car that barely worked on half the days. But we made it work. And we got through. And now I was about to become a full-fledged doctor. And I was receiving offers from hospitals and clinics. Lucrative, big-time offers. You're doctors. Big-time offers. So now we were looking at nice homes, nice schools, nice cars. We were shopping. Very excited. It's, you know when you have a plan? And your plan reaches like that, that, that point where everything's come together? We were there. And he said, one day I came home a little early from the hospital, from my training. And I walk into the door, I say, Salaam Alaikum. I didn't hear a response. I looked at the watch, it was nap time for the babies. And my wife would take a nap too at that time. So I said, okay, let them sleep. I ate some food, sat down, did some reading. After a little while, I heard the babies wake up and start to kind of cry. You know when they wake up and they get fussy? So I heard some noise, so I got excited. Oh, they're awake, you know. Fun time, you know when the kids wake up? Hey, Abu, yay, yay. So I said, let me go check on them. I walk into the room, the kids are sitting up on the bed, one of the younger one is crying, the older one is tugging at my wife, but she's not responding. Being the doctor, jumped right in, checked. She had passed away. On the bed, in her sleep, sleeping next to my babies. She passed away. He said, at that point, my life fell apart. He said, the first day or two, the, the janaza and the tatfin, takfin, everything. He said, it went by in just a days. But when we came back from the graveyard, reality settled in. He said, I was so destroyed by what had happened. I locked myself in my room. 
I didn't come out of my room for over a week. Just, just, I didn't know what to do with myself. He said, during that week, I didn't even hold my own children in my hands. Nothing made sense to me. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Finally, a week later, I came out, started to try to put my, the pieces of my, the pieces of my life back together again. Until I finally got to the point where I started to figure things out. But he said one thing was still missing. I lost my iman. I didn't know what I believed. I didn't know why I should pray. Just nothing made sense to me about this. And he said my brother, who had been with me throughout the entire journey, not just somebody who preached to me, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. No, but he had taken care of my kids when I couldn't take care of my kids. During that week when I, couldn't even, I didn't even know what time of the day it was, he was the one feeding them, washing them, cleaning them. He was there for me. But he's also very, mashallah, devout, very pious. He'd been there supporting me. He kept telling me, you need to pray. Everything will make sense. Just put your head on the ground before Allah. It'll talk to Allah. It'll make sense. And then he said, finally today he dragged me. He said, you are coming to the masjid with me. I'm not taking no for an answer anymore. And he said, when I came here, the program was going on and you talked about exactly this. And I found my answer. I was able to find that connection in the Prophet ﷺ. He knew my pain. He lost his wife. He looked in the innocent face of his children and tried to explain to them that their mother was dead. So I found my answer. So imagine, just, just by interacting with his brother, I tried to feel his back, see the pain in his eyes, feel the pain in his voice. I was able to try to understand the pain of Rasulullah at the passing of Khadija. And then, she, who, she was the very first person who accepted Islam, accepted the message of the Prophet is The love of his life, his wife, the mother of his children, his strongest and firmest supporter, and he lost all of that in that one moment. Imagine how difficult it was for him. But then again, see, Allah made the Prophet ﷺ uswatun hasana. Uswatun hasana. Which means that he made him the ultimate role model, the example. So it didn't stop here. The narrations differ a little bit. But from anywhere to three weeks to three months, after the passing of Khadija, and some say it in the other order, but three months, three weeks to three months apart from the passing of Khadija, the Prophet ﷺ lost his beloved uncle.